Pickaxe. Welcome back to The Review of Death, a Doctor Who podcast and your fortnightly home for Doctor Who news and reviews. I'm Matthew Toffolo. Joining me as ever is Billy Garrett-John. How you doing, bud? I'm fine, thank you, mate. I'm dressed like a drug kingpin from a 1980s crime movie set in Florida, and I'm I'm doing grand. Um, Yeah, I'm doing really well. Good, good, good. Uh, It's uh, Halloween-y time, as you can see by my couple of pumpkins over my shoulder. You've got Um, a smashing pair of pumpkins, mate. Thank you, thank you. One's bigger than the other, but that's always the way, isn't it? Um, that's always the way. <laughs> so today, uh, we are recording this, uh, so this is going out Thursday, the mm. some, something of November. Um, yes. But it, but today, it's actually the 22nd of October when we're recording this, um, because by the time you listen to this, I am in Paris. And I am. Mm, we oui, will. Oui, oui. I'm Tom Baker and Lala warding it around Paris. Um, I want to see you dressed as Lala Ward. I want to see you in that outfit. You want to see me dressed sure as Lala Annie's Ward? Got ready, right. yeah. <laughs> in that lovely, that lovely. What, she's got like a Sailor Moon thing going on in that episode. Yeah, she's got like a schoolgirls outfit thing going on, like a little pinafore dress. So uh, yeah, although I, sh- although funnily enough, we were looking at pictures last night from City of Death, like publicity pictures. Because Annie's got Annie's got like a pinafore dress that she's bought and a bloody boater, and she's like, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go, we're gonna have a I'm <laughs> gonna have a go as Lala oh, Ward. So cool. And I was like, well, I'm not going dressed as Tom Baker because I'm not insane. Um, and oh, you got yeah. to take a scarf, or you got to take. I bought you well, that pin badge. So this is it. I said I'll take the pin badge. I'm gonna take the scarf, and I'm also gonna take yeah. the hat because there's a few publicity okay. pictures where he's got the hat out. So I was like, right, I'll I'll do that. Um, but then I was looking at the pictures last night and I was like, oh, it would be quite good though to be completely dressed up. I almost bought his coat. I almost went oh. on to Cos Daddy and bought the coat because I was like, oh, I could do it. But it's like, it's a hundred odd quid. And then we're not taking suitcases. It's just um, like oh. hand luggage stuff. Yeah, because we're only there for four nights. And I was like, do you oh, know what? Then I don't think, drag- don't take the hat. I don't think you take the hat. I think that's really? the, if you're going to lose any item. Because I don't, I mean... It's just but a, that can, a bit that of a get faff squashed to carry up. around. That can get uh, okay. squashed and just it's collapsable. So All maybe right. it's in the office anyway. I got to go, go back to Yogg's cast and pick it up <laughs> and pick up. Yeah, of course, the remnants of our old set. I know it's all still there. This coat oh, well. People just use the coat hanger now as a coat hanger. We were, we, I, we, you know, you come in the office and you'd be like, someone's moved that. Someone's yeah. touched the brolly. Someone's touched yeah. my hat. <laughs> <laughs> Every uh, bloody dear. time. Um, yeah. Okay, so as a result, yeah, we're not going to be like super up to date with anything that comes out in the week. Um, no. But prior to this episode going out, but we've missed quite a bit because we pre-recorded the previous uh, Fortnite's episode um, yeah. and a lot has gone down since then. So um, will we have an air date by the time this goes out? We don't know. The talk on the street is now that it's going to be starting from the 25th of November. Uh, the yeah. 60th anniversary specials, um, which is contrary to what a lot of us, I think, were suspecting initially. Yeah. But um, I hope that isn't the case. I'm, I was really like in the zone for it to be this month. I was like, oh God, in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to be watching new Doctor Who. And then, yeah. I know, I know, it's only a, a, a slight delay, but it's a bit like, oh, 
I suppose it makes sense though with you know why we haven't heard so much if if it's going to be towards the end of November. Yeah, and, um, and like you, we said, um, it's going to close in that gap between the Christmas special yes. and these specials. So you know, well, hey. We're going to get new Doctor Who at some point. Maybe we just have to wait a couple more weeks, but yeah. I'm sure we're all fine with that. In the uh, meantime, well, really... the Underwater Menace is out on DVD on the 17th. Oh, thank so... God. <laughs> thank God. Uh, so we'll do a review of that at some point, probably before Christmas. I don't know if we'll be able to get around to it in the midst yeah, of the 60th it... anniversary madness, but we'll see what we can do. Yeah. Um, uh, new theme and songs for oh, yeah. 15 and Ruby Sunday debuted at the Doctor Who at 60 concert in that there Cardiff. And yeah. uh, I mean, it's difficult to draw any definitive, you know, uh, conclusions or opinions on it because it's not the TV version of the theme. It's yeah. an orchestral live version. Um, what did you think, Matt? Just, just sort of initially? My initial thoughts was just like, oh... It just sounds like Murray Gold's put all of his themes together and just like slap them on top of each other. And I don't like that little fanfare bit at the start. There's like a little He did it with the Matt Smith one and now there's like yeah. a, he's got another one. I was like, oh don't don't do that. Stop adding random bits to the tune. Cause it's like I timed <laughs> it and it's like sixteen seconds before the actual theme tune starts. Cause it's just yeah, this yeah. like da 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 and you're like Fuck off! No, I just want diddly dum. Come on, um, but give me I my diddly the... dums, Murray. Give me my diddly give, dums now. Give me my diddly dums. Yeah, if I ever meet him, I say, give me my diddly dums. But he has got a good <laughs> middle eight though this time. Yeah, middle eight, yeah, the middle eight sounds great. Middle eight is is on point. Um, I don't know. I mean, like you said, I'm gonna have to wait until we hear it properly because he's got like little motifs mm. from uh, all the different themes. Like he's added a little piano flurry from the tv yeah. movie um now i say it's from the tv movie this bugged me this bugged me a lot because i saw so many people on twitter like oh the tv movie piano bit is back no it is inspired no. by the tv movie it's not the actual it's just someone going plonky 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 on the piano <laughs> like when when we listened to it my brother went Oh, I don't like that plonking around on the piano because he loves it in the TV movie. <laughs> and he's like, what's, he's like, what's this doing there? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously, as you say, it's an ode to, it's a reference yeah. to. I heard somebody mention there's a bit of the howl bass line or a bit of a howl melody in there somewhere. Um, really? It's, I mean, I don't know. I would like to think that when we do hear it, if there are any elements to come from other Doctors, it might be some electronic bits that yeah. we haven't we can't realise with the orchestra. I, I think um, I think the opening sting should be Tom Baker going, oh! <laughs> and then instead there of the jrao, jrao, at the end, it's, think of Jesus, Jesus, think Jesus, of Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> um, David Tennant is hosting a documentary about Doctor Who's early years on BBC mm. Four on the 1st of November, just in time for over 800 episodes of Doctor Who to land on BBC iPlayer. Now, Quite Apart a pertinent conversation. <laughs> yeah, quite a pertinent conversation uh, in light of what we're talking about today, um, yeah. which I'm sure we'll have to discuss at some point. I don't want to spend ages talking about it, but no, it's kind I, of a we bit have of an to mention in the it. room. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I was looking through the press release because I, I didn't read it all the way through because I, I don't know if how, in what quick succession it happened, but it was like the day that we heard about this was within a day of like the theme 
premiering yeah. online as well. So, and because yeah. of all the time differences here, I'm sort of waking up with a load of different news from the previous day and then whatever's just right. dropped that morning, my end. So yeah. um, I didn't read through the full statement at the time. Um, they're obviously very, very careful on saying uh, that not every single episode is going to be there. Now, yeah. whether that is just isolated to the whole Unearthly Child tribe of gum nonsense that's been going on, or if it's a similar thing that we had with Doctor Who on Twitch where non-Terry Nation Dalek stories aren't part of the mix as well. Yeah, um, I I don't know. I don't know if that's the... Because I guess they're all on BritBox, aren't they? The Dalek stories. Yeah, yeah. So maybe maybe that's something that's been sorted. I, I initially thought that they didn't say, oh, it's every episode just because of the missing episodes. And you might just get someone who's like, well, hang on a minute. Why can't I watch the next seven episodes of Doctor Who? Why can't I watch Marco Polo? Like, yeah. Ah, well, for that, get this book. <laughs> Do some bloody reading. Open bloody yeah. Wikipedia and educate yourself. Um, but what are they teaching at school these days? Uh, well, not Doctor Who, annoyingly. No. Um, yeah, so there was a quote from Russell at the bottom of that press release, which I just read today, and I just thought it was interesting because I haven't seen many people quote this, or at least not recently. Um, we are determined this won't be a dusty museum. We have exciting plans to bring the back catalogue to life with much more to be revealed. Now, yeah. In the last 24, 48 hours, uh, Underwater Menace was screened at the BFI, uh, which seemed to get a nice reaction. And there they said there are plans for more animations. Mm. So I expect the iPlayer thing may be part of the rejuvenation of the um, animated recons. Like if this, there's a new backer that's come in to support it, it might be Bad Wolf Studios. Because I think a lot of people were saying it's Disney or it's Sony or whatever. Yeah. But like, I think that probably makes more sense that that money's coming from closer to home. Yeah. Um, so let's see how that develops. But exciting news. I wonder if they'll do a thing where, you know, the color version goes up on iPlayer. Mm. Like simultaneously. And maybe, you know, you buy the DVD or the Blu-ray because you want the value-added material and you want the black and white version and you want the original episodes maybe they'll do something like that maybe they yeah who knows um i wonder if uh yeah how they'll balance that with with original episodes and animated versions because it would be nice to think they're both on there but then yeah you know i suppose as we've discussed before the point of the animations is that they are the selling point for those stories now yeah you know it's not about going back and listening to the audio go reconstructions or you know whatever uh yeah. like this is how you listen or how you experience these stories now yeah so yeah i i think that's probably a good idea actually yeah because then it makes the physical media version worth it by getting the existing story well that's it so i guess you know they need to they need to make it yeah they need to they need to give people a reason to buy it and not just go oh well, i'll just watch this on iplayer um yeah. especially you know depending on your pedigree as a fan, you know, we are used to just being like, well, even if it's a shit story, I've got to get it on DVD because I need to have it yeah. on the on the shelf. Um, whereas other people might just be like, well, I'll just watch it on iPlayer and that'll do me. Much like I do with the new series DVDs. You know, I've not bought a new series DVD in years. <laughs> yeah. When was your last new series DVD? Uh, Jonathan got me Resolution for Christmas, which I thought was... 
whatever Christmas that was when that came out on DVD and I and I opened it and I was like, why have you bought me this? Oh my god. <laughs> All right. It's still Doctor <laughs> Who. Oh dear. But I was just like I was like, well, you know I'm not particularly enamoured with this. I haven't got any of her other episodes. I mean, I haven't even got series 10 of Peter Capaldi, and that was good. No. And I don't have that as a physical release. I was like, why have you bought me this? Like, have you know, opened okay. Resolution and have you watched it? Uh, the di- the disc has never been removed from the box. <laughs> okay, In fact, right. I, don't, I don't even know if I've opened the cellophane. <laughs> I had a feeling you were going to say that. All right. I probably well, have. I probably have. I'm probably doing a disservice. I probably I have don't think taken so. it out I of think the you're backpedaling now because you know that people <laughs> are going to give you shit. I think you're backpedaling. Um, okay. So uh, talking of, uh, well, no, there's no easy way to segue into this. What the fuck is going on with an unearthly child? Um, yeah. So this is obviously something that has been developing over the course of, it feels like months, but it's probably only been about a week. Um, yeah. Twitter can do that to you. Um, mm. And I don't know if we want to talk about it massively because I'm sure everybody knows who is watching this and listening to this. Um, yeah. But an incident has arisen around an unearthly child not being put onto iPlayer as part of this whole new uh, catalogue of Doctor Who going onto the service. Um, and it seems that Steph Coburn... Uh, who is the son of Mm -hmm. Anthony Coburn, is um, not signing off on the BBC, putting the story onto iPlayer, because it's his belief that the BBC screwed his dad out of uh, royalties or or notoriety that he is apparently owed over creating massive parts of the show, which, in terms of the, the papers that we have in front of us and the hard evidence... He was not responsible for, but it's yeah. not to say that, you know, he hasn't got some claim to some elements of the start of Doctor Who. I mean, he wrote the yeah. first story, but yeah, um, I think there's yeah some quite spurious uh, uh, comments being made. And also on top of that, Steph Coburn doesn't seem like the squeakiest of characters from no. his Twitter output, which is se- I think is a separate thing to this Doctor Who yeah. matter. But- yeah. And I think that, that you know, that, that has muddied the waters even more because... You know, it just, it paints a persona. Then you sort of think, well, you know, how how trustworthy is any of what he's saying and all this kind of mm. stuff. But like you said, you know, his, his father did write the first four episodes of the program. Um, I think about 10 years ago, he tried the same thing. And I think his big bugbear is that his dad created the, the, the TARDIS concept, or at least the name, the TARDIS. He came up with it. Um, and so therefore he deserves some sort of royalty because of that. Uh, but like you said, this is something that we cannot really determine, even with paperwork. You know, I don't think there's anything 100% that says this person came up with the name because, you know, this is back in 1963 or 62 or whenever it was being developed. Um, you know, you're not going to be taking the bloody minutes for every thought and concept that you know was put to paper um but you know everyone's sort of stuck their hat in the ring and you know came out with different documents and said well look at this you know this says that and that says this but i don't know if we'll ever get to the bottom of it but um i think as of yesterday so that was saturday um i think steph coburn updated his twitter and sort of said all the bbc are have you know made contact again about trying to 
get to the bottom of this and come to a an agreeable solution. Whether or not Steph Coburn accepts it, um, who knows? But uh, I mean, it's it's a funny one. Um, and we were talking about this the other night, me and some some Huey friends, and we were sort of saying, you know, it's for us, for us fans, you know, it's not massively a big deal because you know we got the VHS, we've got the DVD. We've seen it, you know, we, we have our physical media, but of course it is for any new fans, especially now, like you said, with the iPlayer thing, you know, this was the golden opportunity for people to go, oh, well, I'll just go back and see what it was like when it first started. How did this mad show, or, you know, how did it begin? And now they can't do that, um, mm. which is a shame. And obviously it calls into question what will eventually happen with the Blu-ray sets. You know, there seems to be some... Um, confusion as to whether or not the rights for physical media and like streaming whether or not those two tally together you know it might be that physical media is unaffected um but i'm sure i saw steph coburn say well once the dvds are sold out that's it you're not getting any more but who knows i mean you know that could just be something he's saying and it might be completely different at the bbc's end in terms of contracts and stuff um, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see, really. Yeah. It's an ongoing developing saga. I would uh as I would say on, on all of that, thanks very much for decompartmentalizing this uh nonsense, Matthew, because it's good oh, thank to you. just get it explained in, in black and white. Um I think Like an unearthly child. Yeah, yeah. Um In black and white. In black and white. Uh, yeah, shame we didn't get that colorized version that everybody wanted this year. That would have been fun. Yeah, that would have been weird, wouldn't it? Yeah, I would have liked that. Um, yeah, it's obviously, uh, as Matt said, a developing situation. Um, I think I said something on Twitter about this uh, along the lines of um, the one thing that will ensure that this doesn't get sorted is if this guy keeps getting sent shit on Twitter. Yeah. Because yeah. I think... A lot of this, obviously, with some of the hateful comments he's made about uh, the fact that Doctor Who is now black, and I think he's regarded um, uh, Verity Lambert as a Jewess, I think he called her Mm. on Twitter. So it shows you exactly where this person's heads are. Yeah. But um, this is obviously coming from a position of spite and somebody who's seeking attention. So why you would want to amplify that and give that attention by, you know, um, trying to talk to this person rationally when they are acting very irrationally i don't see the point in putting energy into it um so what will happen will happen whether or not an unearthly child makes it onto the service i don't know i would imagine that there are people working within the bbc working overtime on trying to get this to happen because it would be maybe not an embarrassment but it would certainly be uh less than favorable uh, for the catalogue to go up on iPlayer and the first ever story not be there. I think it's different yeah. if we're losing something like, not to say anything about this story in particular, but just say for random, uh, the Macra Terror. Um, yeah. Something in the middle of a season that has no m- massive implications connecting the lore of the show together. But yeah. to not have that very first story, I think is something that the BBC will want to rectify. Yeah. Um, so let's let things happen. And especially, and, like, with so many sixes Doctor Who missing as it is, you know, mm. to then have one that we actually do have and not be able to do anything with it, it's just like an extra yeah. slap in the face. Like, you know, we're getting more missing episodes. Um, you know, we found a load, <laughs> but now we're losing Why is the number going up? <laughs> yeah. No. Um, yeah, so let's see what happens there. But um, we're going to park all of that 
and talk about this episode as it yeah. is. And yeah. also not going to do a lot of preamble on the pre-production. My notes aren't no. quite as copious as they usually are because everybody knows how this came about. A Canadian yeah. moved to the UK and was like, I want to make a quirky British show. And bang, there we go. Uh, Doctor yeah. Who is born. Um, uh, failing that, watch an adventure in space and time. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I was Bradley. thinking, actually, we ought, to, we ought to maybe have a look at that. Maybe that could be a picture yeah. thing at some point in the future. That That'd might be, be good. fun to That'd do an adventure good. in space yeah. and time. Um, um, so UK number one, Obviously, we'll do this, and I had to mention it because uh, you never walk alone by Jerry and the Pacemakers at the start. But the Beatles, she love you, she loves you, she love oh, yeah. you. I can't speak. Yeah. <laughs> the Beatles, she loves you, she love you. I've turned into fucking czar. Um, <laughs> would would jump into the number one slot on the twenty eighth of November, um, and then would be unseated by I want to hold your hand on the twelfth of December. So that you know. Doctor Who is coming in at a great time for like British yeah. media, like yeah, all yeah, of yeah. this. And then you get the Daleks within the next couple of weeks, like yeah. these icons of British pop a culture. A real cultural thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's happening. You know, it's happening here and there. Um, it took a bit of time for it to get to the side of the world that I live on. So yeah. um, broadcast, obviously, 21st, 20, sorry. What a fucking Doctor Who fan am I? Uh, it's, it's late. <laughs> I apologize. It's get been out. a long week. <laughs> Um, first uh, part of this story broadcast on the 23rd of November 1963 uh, and was the first story to air outside of the United Kingdom and finally made it to New Zealand, which was the first country to show Doctor Who outside the UK um, on the 20, uh, sorry, on the 18th of September 1964. Okay. So it took a little while, but eventually yeah. it got here. Um, yeah. So... Where did you first watch An Unearthly Child, Matt? Was it um, UK Gold? Was it a VHS purchase? It was the VHS. I was actually, I'm annoyed because I was going to look up when the VHS came out that I would have watched, which was the remastered one. So that would have been late 90s, early 2000s. I think it might actually be 2000. I'm going to check that. Yeah. I think it might be 2000. Because uh, they released An Unearthly Child, and then they also released The Daleks, and they did Edge of Destruction. It wasn't a box set, but it was they, they came out very close together. I guess they just thought, we need to remaster it. It might have been for the 40th anniversary, I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, but that was definitely the first time I saw it. I'd never seen it on UK Gold or anything like that. Um, and I remember being very excited to watch it because it was like, wow, this is the first story. And all I knew about the first story was that it, it had cavemen in it. I knew nothing else. You know, I, I'm not even sure if I was really aware about like the junkyard origins, you know, and obviously it's all in remembrance of the Daleks and attack of the Cybermen. But I just don't think as a kid, I'd really sort of connected mm. that as like the start of, this is where Doctor Who started. Um, obviously I'd seen clips of it, you know, the, have you ever thought what it'd be like to be wanderers in the fourth dimension? You know, all the stuff that they put in more than 30 years in the TARDIS and Doctor Who night. Yeah. Um, but obviously all the cavemen stuff is very conspicuous by his absence on any of these shows because it's, uh, <laughs> it's a bit hard going. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I remember watching the first episode and it, it might've even been in the winter months. So it felt like it was... In, on a dark evening and you know mm. it was cold so it felt like the right time to watch it and i remember watching the first part and thinking oh okay this is this is cool 
And then as soon as we got into part two to four, just been like, what the fuck's going on here? What's this? <laughs> so what about I you? first, uh, yeah, I first watched the DVD. That was my first oh, right. uh, okay. introduction to the story. So quite right. a bit later than, than yeah, yeah. most. Um, I don't know why. I think it, because maybe it felt... It's quite a weighty story to get into. All of those early stories, you know, especially yes. from the first the first year, um, yeah. are meaty um, yeah. because it is Doctor Who at its most primitive in terms of uh, its production. And, yeah. you know, obviously there are quirks of 60s television throughout Doctor Who, even to this day, arguably. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the production... That is the thing that I struggle with with these very early Bill Hartnell stories. That you know, it, it's it's not necessarily that it hasn't found a rhythm. It's that it is it is following the rhythm of television from that time. Um, yeah. Even the you know the captions, for example, are you know even more primitive than mm. most sixties Doctor Who. You know, you lose yeah. about half the brightness in the image when Anthony Coburn's name comes up. It's yeah, it's. You can feel the production a lot more. So I've always found yeah. them a bit difficult to, to get my teeth into. But I remember when I first watched An Earthly Child, for a long time afterwards, I would say it was one of my favourite stories. Um, oh, right. Okay. And that's why when we came around to do it for this review, um, it's been a long time since I last saw it. I think it probably would have been 2013 when they showed it on BBC4. But... Man, it's uh, it's a long one. Yeah. Uh, it has its peaks and its troughs. But it, oddly, it's only four episodes, but it feels like a six-parter. Oh, so uh, this places. is the thing. This is the thing. Like, um, So I, I haven't watched it since 2013 either. Um, I mean, obviously, I've watched it loads of times. But um, we were talking about this, and Annie was like, wait, this isn't... Like I said, you know, it's, it's all right, four parts. I'll get that watched in my lunch times this week. She was like, Four parts. She's like, I'm sure this was a six parter. And I was like, No, it was only four. She's like, Bloody hell. She said, It feels like a six parter. It really, really does. And I think I've isolated now the bits that drag. And I think, right, in my head, I've yeah. compartmentalized it into a really tight, like two or three part story because right. I think it's something that it's a trope that Doctor Who falls into quite a lot, especially in the 70s, with this whole, uh, and in the 60s, um, escape, get captured, escape, get captured, escape, get captured. Yeah. And that kind of artificially lengthens the running time, especially mm. when somebody needs to get captured and go on holiday to Ibiza for a week. Um, yeah. And then you feel like you're just treading water. Like, where's the story? There's no movement in the story. Yeah. Um, which is odd for an episode that is actually incredibly visually dynamic. Mm. Um, I, you know, I think it's it's some of the, some of the stuff they do here. I don't think Doctor Who gets shot that well again no. for a long, long time. I, um, that was something I picked up watching it this time. I was really conscious of the direction, and mm. Morris Hussein does some great stuff. There's some really interesting, oh. you know, to to work with the limits of what they've got here. You know, I was thinking about. The, the scene with the saber-toothed tiger when it attacks Tsar. And imagine that on paper and thinking, well, we, we, have, we can't do a saber-toothed tiger because we can't do it other than getting a bloke in a costume. And that's going to look mad. So 
you know, the POV shot is just the sound effect, the growl, his reaction, and then that crash zoom on him and the scream and her reaction, her cry yeah. is so good. I love it. I think what I love about this, uh, what I love about early 60s Doctor Who, the, there's quite a visceral horror to it that's painted in your mind. You know, you don't see it, but one of the things that I took away from watching this is like, this is a really dark story and this is quite a grown up story. And, you know, you can't imagine this. I mean, you wouldn't, this story wouldn't get made today. You know, this story no. is so far removed from present day, cuddly, cozy, family friendly Doctor Who as we know it. Mm. Um, but I think you could even say within like a year or two years, a story like this wouldn't have been made in Doctor Who because it's no. so violent and so unpleasant, really. All of the characters are just savage and horrible. <laughs> I think that comes down to the absence of the Doctor as we know that character in this yes, story. Yes, of course. Because yeah. he isn't there. Like We've got this old bloke uh, yeah. who calls himself the Doctor and uh, he's actually really unpleasant. Uh, yeah. You know, he is um, suspicious and he is very, very quick to anger. Um, yeah. He he doesn't like the company of other people, um, mm. you know, and would like sooner... <laughs> <laughs> would sooner cave in uh, a bloke's head. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it does sound like you, uh, in order to get out of a social situation. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, yeah, I, and I think that is what makes this scary. Also, mm. the fact that, you know, it's obviously an unknown for the cast, um, yeah. but it's a massive unknown for the characters and then therefore the audience. Um, yeah. Uh, and when I mentioned earlier the kind of peaks and troughs of Unearthly Child, that, you know, you have that massive peak basically sustained all the way through episode one, which I think is... Yeah, episode one is fantastic. J just, yeah, it's it's the some of the best 25 minutes of television from that era uh, and I think of Doctor Who because it's just, yeah. the atmosphere is just yeah. scintillating. It has got an electric atmosphere yeah. to it. it. I don't know how to describe it really, but... It just that, keeps that the mystery episode, going, doesn't it? You just, mm. throughout the whole thing, you just left there thinking, well, what what is going on? I mean, mm. the opening shot is fantastic. You know, it, it's so moody with the copper just doing his rounds, going into the junkyard and that slow zoom on the TARDIS and hearing the hum, you know, it's, I love to watch these old episodes and think, wow, what must this have been like for an yes. audience in 1963 to see something as, you know, inconspicuous as a police box. And then all of a sudden it's got this otherworldly hum to it and stuff. And you'd be thinking, well, between this and the weird music that we've just heard. What is going on here? What is the mystery? And then you suddenly, you're introduced to the girl who is part genius, part mm. obnoxious and stupid simpleton. almost. <laughs> yeah, part simpleton. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's just so good. It's very, very cleverly done. Um, and I think that was, I, I think I, I liked that as a kid. Like I, It was so unexpected for me as a child to see this is how it all started. You know, I was so unaware of it starting as the curiosity in a junkyard and, you know, the two school teachers following the girl home. 
you know, I think I think a lot of people would be surprised nowadays to see modern Doctor Who and say, well, look, this is where it started. Yeah. Um, and especially, like you said, with the character of the Doctor, who is, you know, not the Doctor as we know them today, um, but played so well by William Hartnell. God, he does it very well. You know, he's... Yeah. It, it's funny because, obviously, he... He lacks a lot of the twinkle and the charm that we sort of come to associate with his doctor, you know, the the, the sort of giggly schoolboy, mm. you know, that we, we that we sort of see later on in, in later stories. Um but there are moments um where you start to see little bits of that, the softer side, um, like when they're captured by the cavemen. Uh, and you know he starts to try and help the others. Whether that mm. is just because he's like, well, you know, we're in a shit situation, so I need to make the best of what I can so I can get back to the ship. Um, yeah, but you start to see it, and I mean, I love it. I love the fact that you know it's it's because of Ian and Barbara that we have the Doctor as we have them now, uh, and I don't think there's, you know, I don't think that gets appreciated enough, really. I don't think so, but I, I, I absolutely agree. This is uh, evidence to prove the effects that, that those two characters have on him in the yeah. the kind of the grand scheme of their time on the programme. Uh, there's yeah. one line of dialogue, I think it's, uh, I can't remember if it's from Ian or Barbara, uh, to the Doctor, you treat everything and everyone as less important than yourself. Yes. And that is something I think the Doctor struggles with, is that kind of sheer self-importance in the grand scheme of the cosmos, but then also having... Uh, to remain in touch with people and yeah. uh, grounding him. Yeah. And I think that is, you know, besides the technical side of the role of the companion uh, to ask questions and to be the conduit for the audience or the window into the show for the audience, in terms of their relationship to the Doctor and what the Doctor needs that person there for, obviously we've seen it in lots of new series stories, it's explored, but yeah. it's it's evident here even that the doctor needs somebody to ground them and to yeah. n- and to not make them selfish because uh as we said kind of earlier there is a moment where the doctor is going to murder this caveman because he's slowing mm. them down from escaping and yeah. like when i was saying earlier about those peaks and troughs i think that there is a bit of a reductive view to take of the way this story goes after episode 1 that it just be- just becomes about a, a load of uh you know, second-rate yeah, Shakespearean actors grunting in furs, yeah. right? And <laughs> I, I understand. I got, got a great story. So when, it, so I found out it was 2000 when this came out on VHS, September 2000. So that that's when I would have first watched it. But I remember I've got a great memory of being at my grandparents' house and taking the. I would always take a load of Doctor Who VHSs over to their house and just watch Doctor Who for the day. And I remember having this one. I must have been doing a, a watch through at the time. And it was watching Unearthly Child. And my grandfather, who didn't like Doctor Who, uh, was in the room with me and started watching a bit of it. Or he'd come back from shopping and then sat down to watch it. And he turned to me and he went, bloody hell. He said, fire. Is that all they say in this program? Fire <laughs> this and fire that. <laughs> I got exactly the same comment from Stell. While she was working, while this was on the back, and said, they're bloody interested in fire, aren't they? I said, yeah, it's a key tenet of this story, um, which we'll, we'll get onto in a sec. But um, I, I think that, yeah, you have that that 
sort of label that this episode's got that after yeah. episode one, it's about cavemen grunting, right? Yeah. And that isn't untrue, but yeah. what this episode does better than a lot of other Doctor Who since is that sense of really being out, a fish out of water, actually really being exposed. Yes. And this being a really dangerous situation that they're all in yeah. because obviously it is an unknown quantity at this point. What? Yeah adventures and scrapes that Ian and Barbara are going to get into, but that the audience is going to see from this team week on week. And so when there's lots of wailing and Barbara is literally has no idea what to do. And she's asking Ian like, how, why has this happened? How has this happened? It's really desperate. And Mm. it's like you said, that, that, scariness of this and the darkness of this story it's the bleakness of like they're in a situation where if this was the only episode of doctor who those school teachers have gone missing and are never seen again because they were fucking clubbed to death in a hundred thousand bc yeah and that is it so it it is actually like they're not nobody is capable of knowing how to get out of a scrape like this the doctor defies death and gets out of tight jams every week but this is the yeah. first time this has happened and the doctor doesn't actually seem capable uh, or willing to mm. help enough uh, yeah. you know as you would usually expect from the doctor and yeah. so i don't think that adding that 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 general label of it's just cavemen grunting is fair because no. while that is the stuff that drags this story down the fucking politicizing between czar and Cal, you know, yeah. Cal not give you fire. Cal not make you a good leader. Cal not bring down inflation. You know, it's like fucking, they're literally just trading barbs in, in front of yeah. their, their it's, voters. It's houses of parliament in 100,000 BC. It literally BC. is, it, except they're, they're more eloquent in, in 100,000 yeah. BC. Um, and their morals are probably in, in the right place, you know. Yeah. Want, want heating, want clothing, want meat. That's, you know, it. And <laughs> yeah, it. it doesn't seem like anybody can get that in the UK at the moment. Um, so I, I think I understand and, and they're good that, on immigration because they think that, um, they think that the Dobson company are from the other side of the mountain. Like, well, they can come and stay with us in our tribe. Yeah, so long as they give us really fire. Welcoming. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I, 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 you know, I vote Cal. Uh, yeah. for the next election I, I vote Cal you can be on Cal's side or Zar's side but I think you know well, Zar, uh, Zar's the well, I mean neither of them are nice but Zar's the the sort yeah. of good one isn't it yeah yeah Z- yeah. I, I'm not even going to start equating them to j- actual politicians because that's going <laughs> to uh, probably go quite badly Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, so yeah, I get that label, but there is a lot more than that here. And I think you have to wait for those moments. Um, like, yeah, on the whole, parts two to four are a bit plodding and they lose the dynamism in a lot of the direction, uh, from that first part. I think episode two particularly, I think episode three is much better because they, they get out of the cave and there's all that running around in the forest and all that sort of stuff. I think episode two is when you first, because there's quite a long scene, like you said, between Ka and Zhao, and they're having this 
you know, this conversation about, you know, oh, well, you can get fire and I can get this. And, and, and you're a bit like, oh, you know, although it's well written in as much as I like the way that they write their speech and, you know, make it sort of savage and um, very broken. Um, you do get a bit like, oh, I, I can't wait to hear someone start speaking in proper English again. I know what you mean. Um, um, but going back to what you were saying about like the desperation and Barbara, I think Jacqueline Hill, she mm, does it so well. You know, so well. her her fear is palpable. Her desperation is palpable. Um and I like you said, I don't think you really ever get a sense of that in Doctor Who ever again, really. I mean, there's a little bit of it in the Daleks, but here it feels far more visceral that like you know, well, we we are literally done for. Mm. We're either going to get savaged by some wild animal out here in the forest, or we're going to get our heads caved in by some cavemen. I think where that comes from is the villains, and I know yeah. that you wouldn't really call the tribe of gum the the big bads of the story or whatever. But yeah. the difference between this and the Daleks is that this feels a lot more real because it, you know, it, it yeah. happened. You know, you can understand yeah. them being terrified of somebody producing flames from their fingers and yeah. that level of suspicion and anxiety and paranoia and, you know, club first, ask questions later. Um, yeah. And that is what's scary. I think when you then go to the planet Scaro and meet the Daleks, yeah. Um, it has that sense of desperation, but in more of a sci-fi adventure serial That's way, it, yeah. Where you think, they'll get out of this. There'll be something that happens, yeah. you know. Uh, you know, these it's days... Like, oh, it's like, radiation sickness. Well, you know, people at home, I can't really understand what yeah. that is other than just being unwell. Whereas yeah. I could understand the fear of a scary man. And they do it very well. The makeup on the cavemen is great, you know. Mm. The, the shots of Carl... Like at the end, I think episode two, uh, and you just got that shot on him, and he's like, "Yeah, he's he's a scary looking guy." You know, you do not want to be in that situation. It's probably one of the worst situations the TARDIS could have arrived at mm. for their first trip because there's no there's no bartering, and you know, no. conversation at that level is, uh, you know, kill or it's fight or flight. You know, it's it's yeah. basic a- a- animalistic tendencies, and I think that yeah. is more scary because, you know. It's a bit like that John Pertwee analogy of, <clears throat> you know, coming home and finding a, a Yeti on your toilet and tooting back. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah. it's so fanciful that it loses the urgency and it loses the danger. Um, yeah. But this doesn't. And and yeah. that is down to, um, obviously the direction is going to have a lot to do with that and, and Warris is saying, working with the actors. But like you say, it is Jacqueline Hill. And mm. um, I think William Hartnell's good because... He's just able to keep a bit of a lid on. Actually, this is a this is fucked. You know, yeah. I've not been in a situation where I'm really going to struggle to get out of this, yeah. and I've got all these people weighing yeah. me down. Like, if it was just me and Susan, we could get out of here, no get problem. Out of this. Um, yeah, and it's like and, he says yeah. at, at one point in the story, <clears throat> talking about the caveman, he sort of says, you know, their logic changes like night and day, you know, one minute they're thinking one thing and one second the other. So every time you sort of think, well, actually, it looks like they might just get out of this. They've, like you said, they've bartered their way through, like, oh, okay, Mm. well, we've given you fire. And then they think, well, okay, we'll give you fire. You let us go back to to our ship. And then it's like, oh, actually, no, you're going to stay here because you're going to stay here and you're going to make fire for us forever. And it's just like, oh my God, not like another thing. 
Um, how do we get out of this? Um, yeah, it, it, it's ever so good. And 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 Hartnell, um, it's interesting. Like the first episode, he he treats Ian and Barbara so like they are savages. He treats them like they're cavemen. Yeah, uh, and then suddenly to be in the situation when they when he's with the cavemen, and then he's like, well, actually, you know, I I do need their help. Is I mean, is a is really good character growth just within mm. those first four episodes is excellent, and obviously all that stuff at the start where he says about oh you know, uh, or the Native American you know he makes that analogy doesn't he about oh obviously he doesn't say it as PC as I just said it but um you know it, good it's all that. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, it, it's very clever. It's very well thought out. I don't think people necessarily give it as enough credit because there's there's clearly thought there of how. Because <clears throat> I, I guess at this point, you know, the Doctor, you know, we're so used to the Doctor saying like, "Oh, I love humans," and Planet Earth is my favorite planet. But at this point, you know, you really get the sense that the Doctor's like, "I couldn't give a shit about human beings, and I couldn't give a shit about your shitty planet either." You know. Uh, and I love the idea that it's because of because of Ian and Barbara and because of this situation that all that starts to to blossom. Well, it's 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 great foresight on the part of the production team to realise we can't keep this character this way um, yeah. forever. Because I'm sure it would have yeah. been very easy with it being an adventure serial, come back next week. You know, you, you could paint these characters in very broad strokes, but to have the foresight that, no, actually, they should soften him uh, yeah. and that he should develop. I mean, I know, obviously, we haven't mentioned the fact that there's an unbroadcast pilot of the the first episode, yeah. Um, where obviously they, they they do make tweaks to people's characters. Susan, I think, probably gets the most. Um, uh, di- they they divulge they di- diverge, excuse me, uh, yeah. from the pilot version of Susan quite a lot. What what do we think of her in the story? Because she's obviously the titular unearthly child. Um, yeah. She sort of becomes a bit of a non-entity after the first part. She's just kind of there, isn't she, for two and four, four two, three, two, Yeah, four. I think that's the problem. Like, episode two, once the Doctor goes missing, once he's kidnapped by Carl, you know, she's she breaks down into hysterics. And, you know, I think I put in my notes, as like, oh, here we go. This is this is Susan, as we're going to mm. know her for the rest of the season. Um, but she does have some good good moments. Like, the when she gets into the cave with, um, when the doctor's been brought there, she le- you know, leaps onto Carl's back and like, tries to throttle him. And you sort of think, oh, well, fair play to her. You know, she's, she's not mm. afraid to, to get her hands dirty you know, if it means trying to save her grandfather. Um, but yeah, other than that, it, it, and obviously she comes up with the, the plan to stick the skulls on the torches, um, which is very clever. Um, I, don't, I, I don't get that. Like, because it seems to me that she's just doing it and then somebody goes, hang on a minute. Well, <laughs> it's yeah, like she's yeah, just decided like, yeah. oh, I'm just going to put this I, this skull that I've been terrified of and that I've been screaming at yeah. for the whole the rest of the story. I'm just going to pick it up and I, oh, you know, that's a nice ornamental thing, putting it on this burning torch. <laughs> yeah. And then Ian goes, hang on a minute, Susan. Like, it's his idea, yeah. you know, yeah. like it well, does yeah. take a little bit of the, the buzz out of... Out of yeah. Susan, bless her. And also there's another bit with Ian sort of taking the glory a little bit when uh, Zar gets attacked by the saber-toothed tiger and then mm. Barbara says, no, we must help him. I can't bear to leave this person behind me. We've got to go and help. 
and then she goes over but then it's ian that gets there first and goes like okay i i need some bandages i need some water i need a napkin i need you know all this sort of stuff um and then actually starts doing the stuff and then barbara's just sort of like stood there you know yeah like um like cheers mate that was was actually my idea yeah (laughs) um Um. But yeah. I like how how when they ask him, they're like, "Oh, he says, oh, you you are the you are the leader of the tribe." And he's like, "No, he's the leader to the doctor." And the doctor's like, "Oh, fucking hell!" You know, he, he, <laughs> you can see it on his face. Uh, and I think Hartnell does that very well in this story. He 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 does so much with his face to tell you what he's thinking. Like especially that bit where he goes to kill the caveman with the yes. rock, um, and Ian catches him. And the look of shame when he drops the rock mm. and like Ian goes off, you see Hartnell in the background and I was watching him and you can see the cogs turning, that look of shame and like, oh shit, you know, am I really this person? Is that me? Am yeah. I really, am I really going to kill someone in cold blood? Even if I do think they're beneath me. Um, so it's, it's great stuff. It is great stuff. Um, and I'm glad, I'm glad like now you're doing this review. I was, you know, I think people thought, oh, this is just going to be us two saying, oh, bloody hell, it's just people going fire for, you know, four episodes, three episodes. Um, But I'm glad that you also picked up on those lovely moments as well. And that we've been able to expand upon it. There's a reason that this show succeeded. Obviously, the Daleks were a massive help. Like, undoubtedly, they came around at just the right time where the scope of the show suddenly becomes look at all these places that we can go and visit. Um, Because I think if it had gone down that historical kind of lecturing route, which you can see where this was sort of, where that was kind of coming in here, like this is the adventure serial one. Then I think the second episode was supposed to be the giants, wasn't it? Or the the masters of Luxor or something. So you can see, that the show has shifted and they've realized that the adventure serial aspects where they're in danger and they've got to get out, <clears throat> that is where the, the the success of the show lies. It's not yep. in, uh, you know, these kind of parliamentary grunting sessions. Mm. And yeah, it, it, that actually forms quite a large part of the story. But the moments like the doctor is going to brain the, the caveman. Uh, I actually think it's a bit long, but the fight that Tsar... Um, and Cal have at the end that shot on film is really good. Yeah, um, looks fantastic, yeah. <clears throat> that final sequence where uh, the TARDIS team are escaping from the camp and they're running through the bushes and then making yeah. it back to the TARDIS. Obviously, that first cliffhanger with the shadow, which is resolved with having a fucking gormless bloke in close-up <laughs> at the beginning of part two, which sort of makes it lose its its shine a little bit. Um, yeah. But in that first story... I mean, that that opening, you know, 30 seconds with the push into the junkyard doors yeah. and the TARDIS, like you said, um, the the first dematerialization is That's massive. That's so good. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I love the fact that with the odd exception of people feeling a bit queasy on the TARDIS afterwards, nobody faints like Barbara um, yeah. and Ian do. But yeah. <clears throat> it does sort of feel like the show is lifting off from there. Yeah. You know, it's like... Uh, uh, absolutely like you said earlier what would people have been thinking when they go into the police box and it is a spaceship on the inside like yeah the, this show has ch- changed gears all of a sudden it's a bit like in oh, this is a terrible analogy to make but that's sort of like sudden left turn it's like 
from Dust Till Dawn when it goes from being a gangster yeah. road movie into yeah, yeah. fucking hell, there's fucking vampires. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it is that sort of sudden, whoa, what am I suddenly watching now yeah. kind of moment. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can understand how that captured the, the audience's imagination. Mm. And it, it, it was and a lot to see, to... And then to see the TARDIS in that desolate landscape. I mean, it's so yeah. beautifully framed, that shot. Isn't it? Uh, you know, it... Yes, this is fantastic. It's magic, isn't it? It is just it is. real magic. Yeah. It really is magic. And and that is down to the conceit they're working with, which is just magic. Like the ideas mm. that they're working with. Um, I was just about to say, it, it lends a lot, you know, this whole stumbling into a, into a mystical world and going off on adventures. I, I know that this illusion has obviously been made before and it certainly was an inspiration at the beginning, but it's so the, the line, the witch in the wardrobe, isn't it? It's yeah. that taking you away in the most, you know, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but it's a mundane setting to suddenly be whisked off into uh, an adventure full of danger and thrills and spills and near misses and romance and, um, you know, comedy and all that sort of stuff. Like it is a a bonkers program when you isolate it, you know, (laughs) like, yeah, yeah, yeah. How did it get from this to this? Um, but But that's it, isn't it? And especially like, you know, like we were saying, how how the horror is in this story is so, so realistic and so, it's quite near the knuckle. It's, well, can it, you think of many other instances of like blood at, to that level? Like, no, I know that this is obviously it. Ian says, oh, it seems to be the Sabretooth Tiger's blood mostly. Yeah. But he was savage. He was more, and, and, and it's yeah. the, it's the blood curdling scream yeah. as well from yeah. is it whore or ha her ha, ha, her her excuse me um, <laughs> <laughs> it's that blood curdling scream from her and I, I like you know there's a cacophony of sound because there's very little yeah. um incidental music through this and, and what is used yeah. i think is, is pretty effective but yeah it's just so noisy and like mm. chaotic and yeah and that helps to establish that feeling of no one here is safe. Like this, this no. could go south really quickly. One glance in the wrong direction, one quick movement, and you've scared one of these really jumpy, um, yeah. you know, primitive folk, and they're gonna cave your head in. You know, that's, well, that's it. it. Yeah, and like going back to the fight between Carl and Czar, um, you know, like you said, beautifully shot, and then you, again, you've got that blood-curdling scream from Carl, which is horrible. And the reaction shots, you know, that helped sell it as well. You know, that they're all sort of grimacing, um, even if you can see their Y-fronts uh, flashing <laughs> underneath their skins. Which Not that I was looking everything. there for any particular reason, but I did notice the odd yeah. flash of tighty whities yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's not just, so you've got that awful blood-curdling scream, which is horrible. But then he picks up a rock and... He literally decapitates him with it. He crushes mm. his head. And then the way that it's shot afterwards, I mean, at least from what I could tell, is when he's dragging the body, they make such a point of only sort of showing the torso down yeah. to the legs. And I was thinking like, fuck me, he literally crushed his whole head. It, there is yeah. there is a pile of mush in that cave yeah. that is that guy's head. <laughs> and it's like, this is in a Saturday morning... Saturday morning, Saturday tea time, um, kids show. Like, mm. what the fuck's going on? And I was like, well, why is it like that? Did did people just think, well, you know, 
we we've just come out of one of the worst wars and you know are we all just so used to violence and are we all just so are we just made of firmer stuff at this point that they just don't i don't know it just seems so weird like i don't know i don't know how you would get away with decapitating someone with a bloody boulder but the thing is like i was thinking about this earlier you know that that sort of desensitization i'm sure that there i mean there was a national sense of shock obviously that people were getting over because how do you kind of break down the blitz and yeah you know that the fear of an invasion and all that kind of stuff so obviously there's a national uh feeling of like trauma that everybody's mm. getting over so there is going to be de- desensitization a lot of people would have fought in the war a lot of people would have seen terrible yeah. things and blah 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 um but that's it like all the people who are working production wise you know mm. pro- probably like 90 percent of them you know served uh yeah. you know so yeah, I don't, I don't know if that if but I, I that think is part of it. Although we say today, you know, we are overly desensitized to violence, and mm. <clears throat> you know, you don't really blink twice at. I don't know. I mean, I, I was thinking earlier. It's not necessarily violence, but more sort of like visceral moments of horror, like in an Indiana Jones film, like in um, what's the Alien one? Just the bit where. In- yeah, can you know the crystal skull? Whether the bloke gets his face, his all of it, you know, his mouth and his oh, eyes yeah. filled with ants and stuff, right? Yeah. So like, but you need those moments of like, oh my god, it, it's almost like it, it, it brings the levity to the rest of it, and yeah, you know, but that that is when you have a contrast, right? But th- th- this doesn't have any contrast. This is just unrelentingly yeah. grim. Like, <laughs> you know, most stories you can't imagine. After this, you know, Ian, Barbara, Susan, all having their respective showers, slowly rocking in the shower, still yeah. covered in fucking mud. And, yeah. you know, Susan looks down at her boot as she gets in and there's a bit of Cal's fucking, you know, gore skull still yeah. on the bottom of her boot. You know, like, <laughs> fuck. It's, it's, it's really, it's there, you know. Yeah. I, I can't really think of many other truly grim moments of, like, violence in, in Doctor Who like that. I mean, it almost makes the Lytton getting his hands crushed in Attack of the Cybermen seem pretty camp, you know? Yeah. By comparison. By comparison. Um, um Yeah. It it it's crazy. And like you said, there's not there aren't really those moments of levity at all. Because it is just so the pressure is on throughout the whole story. It's just mm. we need to get out of here, otherwise we're dead. Um I mean, there are moments. There are moments that are unintentionally funny. One of my favourites, which is an often quoted one in our house, is uh, so obviously Carl kills the old woman, and I think there's there's a there's a really interesting reading of this because, um, especially in episode two, her is the one that is really sort of coaxing Zar yes, to step Zarr, up to yeah. the plate, yeah, um, to become the and leader. I think they're really, yeah, I think there is quite a feminist reading of this because, you know, Barbara is the first one to go, okay, I completely believe what's going on. Um, so she is like, she's not sceptical. Um, so, I, uh, you know, I guess you could say, say well, okay, that's, that's a very positive uh, reading for women. You've got the old woman who 
who knows that no good is going to come of fire because it's just going to lead to literally every problem that has happened. Yeah, and she ends up actually <laughs> helping the, t- the TARDIS team to and sort she, of Yeah, escape. and she helps them. You know, she's she's actually the, the one with any sort of sense on her shoulders. And then you've also got her who's like, well, you know, come on, if you if you make the fire, you know, you're going to be the leader and I'll be your wife and, you know, my, my father will give give me to you and all this sort of stuff. It's, it's really interesting. There's there's some clever, like, politics going on in this story, even if it is just for, for grunting cavemen. Um, I think the problem with it, it is, is when, when you get the other cavemen that, like, there's that bloke that pops into it at some point that isn't... Cal or or uh, Zar's dad. It's like another bloke that comes into it, and he's quite kind of beardy, and he seems to be directing traffic a bit. Uh, he's almost like sort of second in command. He's got a bit of a. I heard a bit of a West Country twang there. I don't think he is from her's, the West Country. Her's, but her's father. Her's dad. Yeah. 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 And it's like you don't need to be here, like to have another voice going, "Oh, fire, bad leader." Well, that's it, you isn't know, it? It's like, or, I remember or, you know, when the fire and the meat used to come together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Granddad, shut up. <laughs> I love, I love that bit. I love that bit. I remember what happens when the fire meets the meat. You know. <laughs> Barbecue, I think that's what they call it. Um, but one of my one of my favourite bits is in episode three, and we oh we are always taking the piss out of this. Is when um so Carl has killed the old woman because she released them, and then there's this whole thing of like, well, I'm going to tell the I'm going to tell the tribe that it was Zar, and you know, there's it, it's good stuff. Uh, but then they come back, and I love. I think this is the moment where we start to see the twinkle of the Doctor really starting to come out you know the doctor's character starts to come out is all that stuff with the knife and he outsmarts mm. the caveman you know the caveman's like oh and he's like let me see your knife and, let me, and he's like oh look Carl, look, at, look at this knife it's not it's clean he said but your knife it, you know blood. yours has got blood on it yeah and the way he words it is so good i love it um but my favorite bit in that is when he goes you killed the old woman <laughs> And we quote that all the time. I don't know why, but every time he says it, it just cracks me up. So yeah, there we are. Good old Billy Arnold. Uh, listeners and viewers might like to uh, know that it it is the old woman. She appears in Dalek Daleks Invasion Earth 2150 AD. Yeah, and she's also in Creature from the Pit, Eileen Way. Absolute she, legend. Yeah, so she was an old woman in 1963, but she was still an old woman in 1979. So. Do you know what? You just get typecast. She's got one of those yeah. faces, you know. Um, I wanted to have a look at some of the reviews at the time. Um, yeah. What people were saying in uh, the immediate aftermath of this episode going out. Variety said, The script suffered from a glibness of characterizations which didn't carry the burden of belief, but it was positive about effective camera work and that Doctor Who will impress if it decides to establish a firm base in realism. And that's mm. interesting, isn't it? Obviously, because we depart from that massively with yeah. the Daleks. So yeah. this person wants it to stay that kind of gritty, you know, mm. lockdown in, in what's actually going on. Uh, yeah. that feel uh, Mary Crozier uh, of The Guardian I think said um, the series has fallen off badly after getting underway and compared uh, compared to the opening episode and mm. said The Cave of Skulls was a depressing sequel wigs and furry pelts and clubs were all ludicrous I don't think it's quite got that Racco Welsh sort of um, no. you know 
yeah, everybody's got leopard print fucking uh, banana yeah. hammocks and stuff. It's not quite to that level of daftness. Yeah. It, but it's a bit, it's a bit too RAC. RAC? <laughs> it's a bit too roadside recovery. Um, it's a bit too RSC, isn't it? It's a bit yes. too, um, I mean, maybe even a bit Amdram in terms of the way that they realise the, the, yeah. the, with the dirt on the face and all that kind of stuff. You almost wish that they'd come up with a way where they would communicate it with even less English, with even less mm. language. And yeah. they're kind of, you know, I mean, fuck, that would be even more of a difficult watch if it's just people going, oh, 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 you know. Yeah, but yeah, you couldn't, you it, couldn't sustain that for three episodes. But I know no. what you mean. It's, it's very much like, well, I went to Rada, so I don't really want to disrupt my voice that much. So, you know, it's so hilarious. I'll, yeah, it's, it's great. Uh, but I love it. I mean, that's just the wonderful campness of the show, isn't it? Of really? course it is. But- um, and Marjorie Norris of Television Today said, if Doctor Who keeps up the high standard of the first two episodes, it will capture a much wider audience. The peak in terms of viewing figures was for episode three, 6.9 million, um, yeah. which actually, you know, it didn't start off great. And then, of course, no. the Daleks appear and then you're into double digits. And it's just like, right, yeah. here we go. The show has taken yeah. off big time. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of all I had uh, from my notes, really. Yeah, um, I mean, if you want to have a quick look and let me know, and I'll, I'll have a look and see what people thought on Twitter, which is usually a bad idea, but we'll see what people have to say. Yeah, I mean, I think, and obviously it ends so well. The cliffhanger ending is great. Mm, into the well. Daleks. Yeah, it's great. Um, you know, that that lovely pan to the radiation detector and then the, whoop, the dial goes up and there's no music, there's nothing, and it just, the, the theme creeps in. It's so good. I think, I think this is what I love about early 60s Doctor Who. There's that real eeriness to it um, mm. and it holds up so well. Um, and I think it, it does take a little while for it to lose the that sort of realism like we were talking about because you know think even about stories like you know the Aztecs you know there's human yeah. sacrifice in it yeah um, and then of course uh Keys of Marinus you've got the episode where oh god what episode is it but there's the the bit where they're in the the, the snowland the Arctic zone yeah <laughs> to use Crystal May's um <laughs> parlance um and there's that horrible man in the cabin mm. and he, he shuts the door so Barbara can't get out. And, you know, you know exactly what that guy has in yeah. mind for Barbara. Um, and they, they have no, you know, they make no qualms of, you know, really suggesting what he's going to do. Yeah. And even in, in The Time Meddler, you know, um, the, the, the lady who plays her in this, yeah. she is in The Time Meddler. And, you know, mm. she is raped by Vikings. Um, it's crazy, you know. Imagine saying that now. Imagine putting bloody Doctor Who on, Shooty Gatwa turns up and saying, oh, this woman's just been... I think you even still get it with Reign of Terror because, you yeah. know, it's just such a bloodlust, you know, that, yeah. th- that they're, they're coming into that everybody's for the gallows, you know, everybody's... Yeah up for, for Madame Guillotine. Um, yeah. So and yeah, that bloke gets his fucking face shot off, doesn't he, at the end? What's his name? Shit. Yeah. But yeah. Um, um, crazy. So a few a few things people said on Twitter. The Caveman episodes are actually pretty good. Maybe I've watched it too much, but I get invested in the squabble. Uh, Waris Hussein helps tremendously. 
Yeah. Uh, that's from Sarah is the sad. Um, Flight Red 50, very underrated. At least the 100,000 BC stuff is. If you strip away all the retroactive Gallifrey storytelling uh, we unconsciously apply to it, it becomes quite an interesting narrative about how people from the far future, the present and the distant past interact. That's a nice mm. reading of it. Um, yeah, because it is obviously you have to think, right, so where have the Doctor and Susan come from? Um, immediately prior to us meeting them in an earthly child. But I watched it today for the first time, not really thinking too much about where they've come from, what experiences they've had prior to that. And like you said, I watched it very much from, if I've just switched this on for the first time, how am I taking this in? And it does whisk you away and it is a real... Is a real adventure serial. I think that's the first time I've come away from it realizing how much of an adventure serial yeah. Doctor Who is, especially at mm. this time. You know, the sci fi elements of it are really just a way to get into the story. Um, yeah. And it's much, it's much more about that sort of almost swashbuckling uh, yeah. adventure type thing. Um, yeah. and, I, and I love the way that, you know, obviously Gallifrey and all that is just not even a, a concept, but I do love the way that they sort of, you know, they, they put the mystery in there of, well, mm. we know that these people have come from another planet or, you know, certainly another, another age. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they're some sort of refugees or something. Something's gone on there. Um, and that's great. And that's all you need. It's just, again, it just adds another layer to it of the, of the mystery of who these characters are and what the feck is going on in this bonkers program. Jack D. Evans, hello Jack, says episode one is great and is essential to watch if you call yourself a fan. Full of mystery, atmosphere and intrigue. The rest is a bit of a letdown, kind of tedious, but there are some really interesting character moments for our main stars. Um, I don't think anything else in the show is like it. The first episode is obviously incredible, but I really love two parts two to four. The sense of fear and danger and the general tone is something Mm. Doctor Who never really does again. Quite right, Harry. Um, and last comment, because uh, I'm trying to scroll through the ones that say, oh, let's see if you can find a copy to watch. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, this one from Tim Fountain. The caveman stuff in episodes two and four is better than a lot give it credit for. Yes, it gets bogged down at times, but it also gives a solid enough small group politic interplay. Uh, clearly of its time of a low budge- budget slot filler finding its feet and never expected to be seen again. And that is something certainly to consider because when you think about Warris Hussein's direction in this um nobody is quite as daring with like the movement of the camera again yeah um no. in the show and like you said before the confines that he's shooting that under you know it's a mm. less than ideal studio these cameras yeah. weigh a fucking ton and he is yeah. asking these camera op- operators to get in the set and move around there like there's 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 a bit where they have um uh, Ian and uh, Barbara are having a conversation in his sort of science classroom and or it's a, or it's a staff room and I blinked for a second and I almost thought has this been all one shot since Barbara came in and it hadn't been but it was just yeah. the way that it kept moving as you know Ian went to one table and then came back and then moved around yeah. and finding different angles to shoot this thing from the, the, the interior shots of the TARDIS I think are really quite strange considering the fact they've put all that money into the set and you want to see it really the shots of the TARDIS set there's only one or two shots of it in its full glory in in this story and the close-ups where you see the the, the lights of the fault locator in the background or Mm. um 
you know, bits of Roundel really out of focus behind these extreme close-ups. Yeah. Um, it, it, it reminds you that this is a, a drama about these characters and that the the space stuff and the TARDIS stuff and the sci-fi elements really don't matter all that much. Yeah. It's, it's how these characters that you are starting to get to know will react to these new scenarios they find themselves mm. in, these strange and fantastical worlds. Yeah. Um, I think it's the first time I've really appreciated that that is what this story is going for, not introducing the concept of time travel, the concept yeah. of, you know, who the Doctor is and where they're from and all this kind of stuff. Definitely. I mean, I... I I said to you, I was like, watching it this week, this is the most I think I've probably enjoyed this story. Um, cool. it was Yeah, I think I really sort of sat down. I sat down thinking, right, you know, I'm not going to, I don't want to just be like, oh, bloody cavemen. You know, there, there is, there, there's so much good stuff to be had here, really. If you, if you sit down and watch it and really focus on what is being said and the acting that is going on with the regulars, um, uh, it, it, mm. It's really good, and and obviously Morris's direction. There's a lovely shot. Um, I think it's right at the end. Of, it is right at the end of the story. The TARDIS is dematerialized, and then it cuts back to the TARDIS, and the mm. camera starts up in the ceiling, looking at the the rings of the big light that's up in the ceiling, which you never really focus on, but you could no. you could really see it. And I was looking at, it, I was like. I was like that that glass those rings of those circles it's all textured glass I've never noticed that before and then to zoom out of that it, it's just really it's really clever you know um, and I think Morris really did think right how can I make this as dynamic as I possibly can with yeah. like you said with the limitations of what we've got and then uh, you then cut yeah. to like Richard Martin directing the Daleks the following week and it's all a bit flat and you're a bit like oh well yeah right, you've got by a, comparison you've got a, yeah, you've got a clever special effects shot where, you know, they're looking over the cliff and you can see the city. Brilliant. But generally speaking, it just doesn't it doesn't have that dynamism that Warris has think, got. I think it, it maintains through to the Daleks and, and, and I would say through to, you know, even sort of like the Reign of Terror, there yeah. is an element of that danger and that yeah. you know, um, they are getting into some really tough scrapes because yeah. they're they're new to adventuring. They're new to this life. Like, um, it, it, give it a couple of months and they'll be able to call back to, remember when we were in this situation and we did this yeah. and we did that? It's all still new to them and they're still finding yeah. their feet. And, and so I think you still get that sense, even with Richard Martin's slightly flatter, flatter direction, as you said, you still get a sense, though, I think, of um, danger and peril. Yeah. Um, like, you know, this is, th these stories are what that PG certificate mild threat were, yeah. w was sort of designed for, you know, because that is the feeling you get from it. Yeah. And like you think now to modern Doctor Who, you know, think, think to the power of the Doctor and you've got like Alcoholics Anonymous for Doctor Who companions, where they're sitting around <laughs> a circle sharing their stories. And, you know, you've got Bonnie Langford saying like, oh, well, I was nearly, you know, throttled by a, giant crab robot in a swimming pool and you know whatever and then you got ian chesterton there's like well a caveman nearly fucking caved our, caved our heads <laughs> in with bloody rocks he's like wow the disparity there of uh, totally oh, oh, you know um but you feel like this is the kind of this these adventures are the ones where you need the bloody therapy group afterwards because of Big everything time. that's been going on um and it just seems it seems worlds apart from 
this idea, especially with the Russell T Davies era, uh, Mark One, and I'm sure it will be the same for Mark Two, of you know the trip of a lifetime, and that mm. going into the TARDIS should be like the best holiday that you're ever going on. All right, you know, there's some dodgy stuff that happens, but you still want to keep traveling with the Doctor. Whereas this, you're like, get me off this fetching ship and back home as quickly as you possibly can. I hate it. (laughs) And the fact the Doctor is sort of resigned to admitting at the end there, I actually don't know how to pilot this properly. And, yeah. you know, Ian's like, right, so so you've you've set the controls for us to go straight back to where you picked us up from, yeah. right? And he's like, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, I can't that. remember what, yeah, I, I can't remember which button does that. Uh, oh, it's really annoying. Uh, you know, it, it's so, it's so that. Which one's really, reverse but, again? Um, <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't invented the why fast return switch hit- yet. I was just about to say, why did he just hit fast return? You'd be there. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. He doesn't know that it's on there. He hasn't had a, a you know chance to to fully appreciate the controls. And then and then the next you know two stories time, the fast return switch comes out. And he's like, oh shit! I could I could have used that. I could have used, used that bloody oh. seven weeks ago. And Bollocks. it doesn't. It, how does it work? If you is it like is it like uh, when your shuffle goes a bit mad and you're like, okay, no, four songs back is where I want to go. Like do, yeah. if you if you go back to France, okay, okay, right, that didn't quite work. Okay, let's go back to Marinus. Okay, well, okay, now we're at Marinus. So if we keep hitting the fast return switch, would it just keep going back, 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 back? Or do you end up in I, a loop of just visiting the last two places back? And I forth? think he, I think it's just the last two places. I think back. I think it's just the last two places, and then he goes, oh shit. I should have pressed that. <laughs> if I'd have pressed that back then when we landed on Scarrow, we could have been well, no, they they would have been fucked. They were they were gonna go back to caveman times. So yeah, if if I had only just pressed that rather than just dematerializing, if I had just pressed that switch at the end of the caveman. Do you know what? I'd it would have been Susan this. that told him told him about it. Bloody smart ass going, For grandfather, why didn't you just press the fast return switch? What? What's wild? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you didn't tell me about that to begin with. Oh fuck. Um, I wrote it down for you, grandfather. I put it. I, I put it in Sharpie on the console. It <laughs> would have made noises and, like and, that. And, you know, I'm sure. And like Hartnell, bloody electrifies the console. Yeah, and all this it's, sort of shocks stuff. Ian. He's, oh, a, he's a dodgy shit. one. That he's a yeah. dodgy one. That Bill Hartnell. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, to, to I guess to kind of wrap up uh, yeah. our, our thoughts on it, I, I, I think there is a lot more here to appreciate than I think people give it credit for. I think there is that very broad um, feeling that it is a great first 25 minutes and then cavemen. And it's like, yeah, but but it's worth sticking with, you know, and you you think this is a show that is worth sticking with. Like there's, you know, a lot more of it to come. Don't worry. (laughs) Um, It's funny. It gets really good after the first 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny when you think, of all the happy coincidences and happy accidents that led to this yeah. becoming an institution, like they didn't have the money to change the TARDIS exterior each week, so it just stays yeah. the police box. And it's like, wow, like there is luck. And then there yeah. is like, you know, divine intervention that that was going to become a, a, an all-time pop culture shape yeah. and, you mm. know, item. Um, I, I, and But, you know, you can see the craft of of television at this time being put into this from the direction, yeah. uh, obviously the writing, 
um, because you know not to take anything away from Anthony Coburn as a scriptwriter, like it's you know it's a it's a decent script, I suppose. You know, in terms of yeah. establishing he, the show and he, throwing you it, right it, into it, it fulfills the brief for sure. It does fulfill the brief, absolutely. Um, but then you've got those central characters, you've got those regulars that are obviously going to become uh, beloved uh, yeah. figures in 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 the show. Um, and it is interesting watching this in light of where the Doctor goes for the next 60 years that yeah. it's a perfect starting point because the Doctor's character has basically been developing since then. Yeah. Um, and the Doctor doesn't always get it right still to this day, but it's mm. like they're just still trying to work on getting away from who they were um, yes. when they yeah. first met Ian and Barbara. Um, yeah. And that it's they've always been a bit of a work in progress since then, you know? Yeah. And I think that's what I like. I like those moments even now when, like I said, when the Doctor gets it wrong. Um, because, you know, he is he's not infallible. He's not some superhero that is squeaky clean. And I think that's what makes the Doctor such an interesting character is that he doesn't always get it right. And sometimes his, his reasoning for things is a bit dodgy. Um, and I guess that's what makes him human in a way. Um, mm. but there we go yeah that sounded like the start of a, of an essay a thesis uh, on yes the, the human yeah. condition in Doctor Who yeah 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 um, there we are join, in, join us next week when we come up with that one <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a full 10,000 word essay between the two of us about Doctor Who yeah. and the human condition <laughs> um, well there we go I think that's that uh, yeah I guess we will see you guys next time uh, just to yeah. let you know this is kind of the start of the 60th anniversary stuff that we're going to be doing through November. There's a lot of stuff already recorded, a lot of stuff already in the pipeline, ready to come out in November over on our Patreon. So besides finishing Once and Future, which I think comes out the day that this podcast is released. I think it does. So expect that in November, uh, the last installment of Once and Future, besides the coda, whatever the fuck that is. Um, (laughs) Also, you've got a really cool 40th anniversary retrospective where we talk about all the events that happened in the 40th anniversary. Yeah, that's good. uh, A little bumper review of Sharda at the end of that. And also a commentary for Dimensions in Time, which was loads of fun. So all of that is still to come on the Patreon through November. But of course, Mm. we are going to be talking about the 60th anniversary specials and we hopefully yeah. have some plans in place to do something a bit different with how we cover that in the moment don't we yes we do so hopefully the plan will be that we do some live streams sort of as close to um as close to it coming out as possible it obviously just depends on our times yeah um but obviously at the moment the trouble is we're not really a hundred percent sure what the air dates are yet yeah. i mean by the time this podcast comes comes out it, it might have been announced we don't know um but at the time of recording we still don't know when they're airing you know there was some indication that it might have been three weekends in november but now like we said at the start it might be yeah. november into december so we don't know so the next episode who knows what we could be re- re- yeah re- i mean like looking at uh, uh, looking at the bible the rod bible as it is yeah. at the moment the next episode, if things are going to go the way that we had thought they were going to go for this whole time, is yeah. going to be the Star Beast. Star Beast, um, yeah. Which would, which would be uh, the week that it comes out or the weekend that it comes out. Um, yeah. 
but obviously that might change. So yeah. just keep an eye. I mean, you guys will know when the episodes are going out. It's not like you need to wait for us to tell you. No. Uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> this is the real breaking news is when we're going to be talking about it. Yeah. Um, but we will let you guys know uh, either a reworked or a, 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 a the schedule that we have down for what we're going to do for the 60th yeah. anniversary. Um, just and we will keep following us yeah. on X or Twitter or whatever the feck it's called. It's or, just, you just know, please just call it Twitter. Don't start. Twitter. Don't start that. <laughs> Follow up, just um, keep following us on Twitter and it'll all be on there whatever we're yeah. doing <laughs> and it'll be on Instagram as well and yeah, yeah we'll, we'll we'll make sure you guys are aware if you want like kind of up to date information on the production of the podcast and how all that stuff is going or just generally to have a chat you can join the Patreon Discord you can join yeah. the, uh, the Patreon in general um, and yeah it's been really good fun doing stuff for the 60th that's going to go on there so I th- yeah. think you guys are going to really enjoy that stuff yeah, definitely. So from us, cheerio. Remember, like, subscribe, all those sorts of things. Tell your friends. Uh, big month because it's the 60th, you know. Yeah, like baby. Said, hope, hopefully the episodes, but there's obviously all this other stuff that's going to be happening, like mm. this documentary that David Tennant's doing. So there's plenty for us to talk about, even if we don't talk about the episodes. Um, so, yeah, we'll see you all next time for hopefully the Star Beast, but just keep an eye on Twitter and uh, you'll know exactly what's going on there. So, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>